0: This week's parsha is parsha svayishlach. In the middle of the parsha by Chamishi, there's a very difficult episode to grapple with. I remember when I was in Yeshiva and they used to in elementary school and we were learning these Parsha's, All of a sudden the Rabbi says, Okay, we're skipping we're skipping this parak. And of course, when a Rebbe says we're skipping something, that makes you all of a sudden want to learn something. And um, so everyone was quickly looking at, you know, what was going on in this parasha. The parasha that I'm talking about, of course, is the parasha of the abduction of Dina. And it's an impossibly hard parasha to understand on any level how Dina, this, the daughter of Yaakov Avinu, could have been abducted and abused, and um, and the outrage that ensued from this entire abduction. It's a very difficult parashot. And it's something that is, taka. is something that we wouldn't want to really talk about, because we don't know, we don't understand even the Pshuta mikra here. But if we could at least look at it through the eyes of Shuta Shomikra with, with Rishainim and with the Balimussar, there's a lot to be taken from this Tarsha. So to avoid it and to skip it at our age would be doing the Tairan an injustice and ourselves an injustice. For some reason, Dina went out of her house. Dina Basleya Rashi says that this indicates that there was something wrong with Leia. She didn't, she wasn't called Dina Bas Yaakov, she was called Dina Bas Leia in this parsha, because Leia was also a Yatsanis. She also used to go out of the house, perhaps not in the perfect degree of Tznius as was expected of her, Kafima Drey As the Pesach says, And so, in parentheses, Rashi says, This is the mushol that people say, and I think it's still an expression nowadays, like mother, like daughter, or like father, like son. That's the way things go. If you see your mother doing something, then inevitably you are going to do it. And if Leah was a Yatsanist to a certain degree, then Dina also went out, and as a result of her going out to see the daughters of the land, some people say that Shechem actually hired bands, musicians, to play outside just to get her, to lure her outside of her house. And when Shechem saw her, the prince of the region, Shechem ben Chamar Achivi Nesia Aretz, He took her, and he lay with her, and he violated her. And then he became deeply attached to Dina, and that's when he tried to make a deal with Yaakov, um, or his father tried to, and tried to convince them to intermarry together. And of course we know what happened, the brothers Shimon and Levi, uh, take action, first they say that they should be all gemat, and then we'll talk, and when they were weak, they went and they basically massacred the entire city of Shechem. When they massacred the city of Shechem, if we could cut to the chase, in Pasuk Chavav, the Torah says, They also killed Hamar and Shechem his son, by the sword, and they took Dina from Shechem's house and they left. So, if I was learning the Pesukim the kibshutra and I really wanted to be down, I would say that it sounds like a hostage situation. It sounds like Dina was abducted, she was taken hostage by Shechem, and and uh, and as a result of that, they have to go and they have to do like a raid on the house and they have to bring her out and bring her to safety. But the Medrash says different. The Medrash, when it describes this Pasuk of Vayikchu they took her out. The Medrash astoundingly says, Rav Yudin Amar Bavi Misham she actually didn't want to leave. When, when Shimon and Levi came in to raid that house and they were expecting Dina to be happy to see her brothers and to want to leave, she actually said, no, 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 thanks, I'm going to stay. And they had to schlep her out, guard her in Issa. They were actually physically had to remove her from the house to get her away from Shechem, to get her away from the influence of that house. In this this with these medrashim are nothing short of a pili plime. How do you understand a, gr- a girl growing up in Yaakov Avinu's house? We don't know what Yaakov Avinu's house was. What was the base Yaakov? Beis Yaakov was, it was the holiest house in the world, in the universe, in the history of the world. Dusha, Taira, no hypocrisy, everything was straight, everything was natural, was normal. There was no reason for anyone to be at risk, I doubt, in that home. And yet Dina was taken by Shechem, and I don't know how long this incident took place over the course of how much time, but something happened that she went from the house of Yaakov, which is the greatest Kedusha, the greatest hirah I'm sure it was a happy home, it was a wonderful home, a loving home, and she gets abducted to the house of Shechem, and then a short while later, she doesn't want to leave. They have to schlep her out. Again, We this is all Kephi Madrigas. I'm sure this is not at all the way I'm describing it. I'm sure it was much more benign that we wouldn't even be able to detect what this means. But at least for us to learn something from the Parsha with all the disclaimers that are fully due, how do you understand this Parsha? How do you understand the Tsukkim? How do you understand what happened? How do you understand these medrashim? These are difficult words to understand. Rabbi Ruchem Lubavitz, the great nashkiach of the Mir Yeshiva in Poland, he deals with this. And he was wondering about this, how such a thing could happen. How is it possible for Dina Basleya to fall so hard and so fast from a very high pinnacle to such a low depth to be able to want to stay in the house of Shechem. Can you imagine the Tumah of the house of Shechem? If this is what they were doing day and night, you can imagine that these were not the Lamed Vav What was Dina Basleya doing in the house of Shechem? How could such a thing happen? What is the evolution that would bring a Bas Yisrael, literally a Bas Yisrael, from... from the house of Yaakov to the house of Shechem. If it was a hostage situation, if she was somebody that had Stockholm syndrome, okay. You know, if you want to make a about psychology here, that she got that you you begin to love your hostage, your your captives. But we don't really mix psychology into into the chumash. That's not our our role here, and our role is just to figure out the pshuta shamikran to take some Musr from it. Sir so Birukham says that before we start asking questions on the Rishanim, which we all do, you know, there are so many personalities in Tanakh and even in Gemara, Tanoim, Amiram, that we have difficult incidents that we wonder, how is it possible that somebody so great could fall? How is it possible? We, I don't want to go through all of the, the different episodes throughout Tanakh and, and, and throughout, uh, throughout Shas. But there are many that come to mind and I'm sure you have grappled with this when you're learning Tanakh and you find that people like, that were so great and so holy they were able to do things that, that, that are unspeakable. And Rabbi says but before we start like laying blame on them he says let's look in a mirror and let's ask ourselves some of these hard questions and say well, what about us? Now, obviously, they're much greater than we are, but let's not, if we're going to tar and feather people, let's tar and feather ourselves first. And let's wonder ourselves how we're able to be nifshol and others. Don't we know better? Are we not conversant somewhat in the laws of Lashon Hara, let's say, for example? Does that mean that just because we know how bad it is and we hear a hundred shmuzin and we, every tish above all the videos are talking about the, the, how bad Lashonara is and how destructive it is and we've learned a lot of, I'm sure, the Hilchitz Lashonara and how many alvaris there are for every word of Lashonara that we say, how many, mitz, how many assays we're being every time we speak Lashonara. We know all this. And who does not speak Lashonara? Raise your hand. Who doesn't speak Lashonara? Obviously, we're not being maps to get. It's not something that we're proud of. But it's something I think that when we, are, when we slip, we do it. If it wouldn't be such a common error, I don't think we would be making such huge campaigns about it. Obviously, people grapple with this. Now, how, do, how does a human being do this? How does a human being go and know that something is wrong and yet do it anyway? And Lashon Hara is a a nice, clean, quote-unquote, type of Aver that we could talk about in mixed company. We could talk about it at the Shabbos table. There are many Averas that we do, the Chadri Chadarim, without getting too graphic, and we know that they're wrong. We know that we should not be doing it. We're not proud of the fact that we do it, but sometimes we slip and we do it. How do we do it? What's the disconnect? How can us, as people that are B'nai Taira, how are people that are that we know right from wrong, we know that it's not the right thing to do, how is it possible that the Yitzhahara is able to get to us and allow us to fall off of a plateau that we're really naturally on, but yet we fall? How does that happen? This is Rabbi Rucham's question. And Rabbi Rucham says something that's very, very powerful. And he says that it's words in this very parasha on the Torah. In this parasha, it says that Shechem, when he was talking to Dina, and he was basically seducing Dina, the Lushan of the Paslik is, He was talking to her heart. He was not talking to Dina's intelligence. He was not talking to her her educated self. He wasn't trying to give alumnus to her. He wasn't trying to argue in halakha how something is mutter. That's not what he was doing. What he what the Paslik says that he did was He went and he spoke directly to her heart. And what he was doing was he was bypassing Dina's intellectual sense of right and wrong. Intellectually, we know that something is right, and we know something is wrong. If, somebody, if we would see somebody doing something, we would automatically say to that person, or at least we would think to that person, you're not allowed to do that. That is usher. If I would be seeing somebody speak washanara, I would immediately say, how could he do that? He's such a chasher a person. Why does he speak washanara? When we do it ourselves... Suddenly, we begin to bypass all of our intellectual knowledge. We know the halacha, but the sahara has a way of bypassing the intellect and speaking straight to the heart, and enticing the heart and telling the heart, this is what you want to do right now. What do you mean? But I know it's wrong. All, all the halachas start kicking up in the brain, but the brain gets clouded, the Sahara speaks to the heart and says, put the books away, close the books, this is something that you want as a human being. Your emotions want this, so do it. But I know that it's wrong. Yeah, 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 but that's your mind. Put your mind, shut your mind off for a little bit. We'll deal with that tomorrow. But right now, this is what you want to do. So do it. This is the ploy of the Eitzahara, And this is the only way that we can understand how Dino was able to have such a precipitous drop to go from the base Yaakov to go into the hands into the arms of Shechem ben Hamar and to want to stay there to the degree that she had to be schlepped out. It's because Shechem was able to capture her heart. Her mind was in a different galaxy. Dina's mind, a, a sister of the Shiftei Ka, somebody who Chazal say was switched in the womb with Yaisid Atzadik. she was on a very high madriga. She knew more than everyone in this world combined, Intellectually. But somehow her heart fell into the trap of the Sahara and was able to be seduced. And this says Reb is the way that the Sahara is able to get to us as well. Not by intellect. He's not saying that something is mutter. When you're speaking about Shnari, you're not saying it's mutter. No, you know, you know that it's also. Everybody knows that is also. And as you're saying it, there's a part of you that probably feels guilty in the subconscious of your brain. The problem is that your brain is not always in control of what you do because very often your instinctive heart, your emotional experience, if you're with a Hebra or you're with a, somebody schmoozing privately, somehow, someway, the H.R. says, Do it! This is what you want to do and this is what you should be doing. And so you give in, you capitulate to your Yitzhara, to your better instincts. You really know sickness is wrong, but you allow yourself to do it because your heart is competing with your mind. And very often, if it's heart against mind, heart wins. I want to just add a little bit to Rabbi Yeruchim, if I may, just to go into a little bit more of an analysis, because it seems very simplified, in the, in, in at least the way I described it up until this point. What does that mean? How do you take somebody like a dina and go over to that person and, and seduce her? How do you go and say, even to speak to her heart, could you imagine going over to Rav Chaim and saying to him, you know, you know, watch a video. I really want you to watch a video. You know, that's inappropriate. He wouldn't do it, even if I speak to his heart. He wouldn't do it. He's a chaim taniesty. How are you able to go to Dina? Dina, you know, we don't know. We, we think Dina is a girl. Dina was Dina Basakiv. How are you able? How is the, even the Sahara, Even. Shechem ben Hamar. How does this happen? You can go over to Adina and start talking to her heart and eventually getting her to do very bad stuff. How, do you do, how does that happen? It just happens. I dabra automatically. How does that happen? So what I want to say is that there's another word in the parasha with the medrash that I think really opens up a lot of vistas for us to understand how the Sahara does what he does so well. The pasuk describes Shechem ben Hamar as being Hachivi, which means he's from the nation of the Chivi. The Chivi was one of the one of the tribes living in 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 Ertzkanan. But the medrash says on that word that he wasn't a Chivi. He wasn't from that tribe. He was an Emiriy. He was from the tribe of Emma. He was not from Chivi. So why is the are calling him a Chivi? Zop the medrash. That Chivi means in Aramaic a Nachash. The word in Aramaic for a snake is Chivya. A snake is something, an animal, that's a treacherous, sneaky, sly beast. And it, of course, harkens back to the Nachash Akhadmaimi, the first Nachash we know that tried to seduce Chabah and actually succeeded in that as well. Shem ben Chamar was the embodiment of a Nachash in the way that he went about convincing Dina that this was a good idea, this was something good. How does a snake operate? How do we understand the treachery and the underhandedness of a snake? So we have to go back to the parasha of Bereshis where the Nachash was described in the Torah that it was Arum Mikolchayet Hasade. It was the most sneaky animal, the most clever, sly beast of all of the animals in the field. And he wanted Chava, the snake. So what he did was, he went over to Chava and he said... Did Akarishvachu tell you by any chance that you're not allowed to eat from the trees of the garden? And Hava responded, Well, no, not really. We just have to keep away from one tree. There's one tree that Akarishvachu doesn't want us to eat from. And. The way the story continues, of course, is that the Nachash pushed Chava into the tree because Chava says, we're not allowed to eat from it, nor are we allowed to touch it. She shouldn't have said that because that's not what the commandment was. we was just not to eat it. But she added that you're not allowed to touch it. So so what did the snake do? He pushed her into the tree. And he says, uh, you, you see, you could touch it. Just like you could touch it, you could eat it. And she says, wow, that sounds like a good timer. And then they went a little bit further. And the Nefer says, Ki alekim, HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows that the day that you eat from this, you're going to get very smart, you're going to be smarter than God himself maybe. and so that's HaKadosh Baruch Hu doesn't want you to do it. And she was filled with such taiva to eat this fruit that she ate it. And she gave it to other the Marishim to eat also. And we're all suffering because of this night nice that's today. Let's examine all of the different machinations of the, of the satan here. The nachash is really the, the embodiment of the Sahara of the satan. Let's examine what he did over here in order to get the great Chava. Chava was also a great person. Chava was the ma'asya daim of the rabbi nishayim. The Gemara says, by the way, that there were that a list of the most beautiful women in the world, and it doesn't count Chava as one of them. And Tysus asks Gemara in Megillah. Tysus asks, why, why isn't Chava on this list? Doesn't the Gemara say that uh, that there's another Gemara that, that Tysus quotes that Chava Sarah Chava Adam? That the, the different if you put Sarah was so beautiful next to Chava. She would look like a like a like a monkey next to a human being. That's how beautiful Chava was. So why isn't she on the list? So Taisa's answer is, well, it's different. It's a different league because Chava was the Maisia Daim of the Rabbanu She was the Itzir Kapov. How could Shmuel fashion Chava by by himself? He didn't. It wasn't a biological process. He took the rib and he created Chava. He molded her himself. Chava was in a different league than the rest of us. Chava, you can't even put her on that list because she was like super, super perfect. She was created by God, by his own hands, Chava So, And Chava could be in such an adeir, with Adam Arishon, who was also great. The Nachash was very smart. The Nachash understood that you can't just go and right away say to Chava, you know, do something terrible, go do an adeir, it doesn't work. I don't want to do an abeirah. I'm a from person. I'm a, I'm a religious person. I, I, the rabbinic shalom gave me a tzibur. First, what he does is, he slowly enters into a conversation with you. And then once he has you engaged in the conversation, he'll start like, dropping little seeds into your mind that start out very small, but it eventually starts spreading into your psyche until you realize that maybe there's a point to be made over here. First he starts schmoozing with her. That's itself a terrible thing. When you start talking to somebody, then all of a sudden a lot of the barriers are broken. Start gi, if the nachesh is over there and I'm over here, then we're different. But if I'm talking to him, suddenly there becomes a relationship. That's the first problem. And then look at what he does so brilliantly, the nachesh. And this is what the Mefarshim point out. The first thing he says, that God tell you not to enjoy... The trees of the field? What is that? That's a ploy of the Eitzahara to say, Enjoy life. You're young, you're able to enjoy things. God wouldn't make a beautiful world like this to deprive you of things. You should enjoy it. If there's a beautiful world out there, it's yours to explore, it's yours to enjoy. It doesn't make sense that Akarishwarfu would say would would create something and not enable a person to enjoy it to its fullest. It doesn't it doesn't doesn't sit well in the mind. That was the first seed that was planted in Chava's brain. Enjoy it. Tzadikershvaru said that you can't eat something. How did he? How could he say that? How could he deprive you of something that's so good, so tantalizing? Enjoy it. Chaperain. That's the first haina that the Nachash gave to Chava. It was slow. It was very slow and methodical. It wasn't. He didn't jump to the end shruz a little bit, let's talk a little bit, let's talk some hashkappas here, doesn't make sense, God wouldn't do that, it's, something doesn't fit well. And then what did he do? She told him, okay, yeah, but he said that I, we could eat from everything, but there's just certain things that you're not allowed to do, and I'm not allowed to eat it, I'm not allowed to even go near it, what did he do? He pushed her into the tree. That's another ploy of the eight Sahara. What is that ploy? You think lightning is going to strike you if you do it? You think if you have a cigarette on Shabbos that all of a sudden a bolt of lightning is going to hit you? Nothing's going to happen. It's fine. It's fine. Look, I pushed you into the tree. Did anything happen? Nothing happens. Good. You're, you're still safe. Just like you, that that didn't happen. You could eat from it. You're not going to get punished. There's no necessarily chareivinish. Don't believe everything that you read. Okay, that's uh, that's religious doctrine. Don't don't buy into that. The next thing that he says, this is Rev Hirsch. Rev Hirsch says that Hashem knows that you're going to, the day that you eat it, you're going to get smarter. What's that, Taina? That's an old Taina also. That's a Taina that the Eitzara tells us that the rabbis made up a lot of things because they wanted to keep the power for themselves. They didn't want you to do certain things because they wanted to make sure that they're in control. It's a power grab. That's another Taina of the Eighth Sahara. Mamash, all the Tainas that you would find on the worst blogs of of anti tira bloggers is all in the Parsha. This is all this preceded them by fifty seven 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 years ago. They weren't the first ones to start putting these seeds in our minds. This is already the Nachashakadmani and it's <laughs> written the Rish in these Pukun. This is the way the Yitzhahara is able to get into our psyche, to get into our bloodstream, until we're so full of taiva for doing the avera that we can't not do it. It's impossible for us at some point to even stop anymore. But because the nafesh was so slow and methodical, it didn't even feel like anything was happening. But before you know it, all of a sudden you're completely fakait, you're completely consumed with the Yitzhahara, and you want to do it willingly. This is, this is Shem ben Hamar hachivi. He was a snake. He mamish picked up the playbook of the Nochash and he followed it step by step. He didn't just go over to Dina and tell her, let's do a maisa together, an unspeakable maisa. That would never work with Dina. Even Dina, Dina was Dina. He knew that he spoke to her a little bit. He spoke to he spoke to her heart. He spoke very nicely to her, very sweetly to her. He said different things to her to make her think maybe it's not the end of the world if we do it. Slowly, slowly, he built he built things up. He didn't start right away with going for the kill. He basically shmuzed her until he was able to convince her, make her comfortable, groom her, make sure that she was. On board with him, one step at a time, slowly, slowly. Oliva Naira, like a chivi, like a snake. And then he was able to do the ma'isa to the degree that she didn't want to leave. There's a Rashi in Parshas Mishpatim by the Parsha of Ribbis. The Torah uses a word to describe ribos, Neshech. Neshech. It's another. We just learned Ezo Neshef. Neshech. means ribbus, basically. It's a, it's, a, it's a synonym for ribos. Why is it called Neshech? Zokdrashi? Rashi? Because it comes from a of Neshichas Hanachash. It's like a snake bite. Rashi explains that when a snake bites you, you hardly even feel it. You feel like a little pinprick into, your, into the bottom of your, your heel. And you say, oh, no, probably I stepped on a thorn or something. And you don't realize how that venom slowly is going into all of the anatomy. It's going up through your blood and it's going into all of your extremities until it re- reaches your brain and you're dead. That's how a snake works. And he says, that's ribis. Ribis is the same way. You know, you get a credit card in the mail and you say, oh, that's very cool. I got a credit card. They must trust me. So you're swiping it and you can't pay the bill at the end of the month. Nope, it's not the end of the world. It's only whatever, 7%. 7% is not bad. 7% compounded monthly, annually. Before you know it, that $1,000 bill that you wrapped up is suddenly $10,000. And you didn't see it coming. Over time, this is what happens. And that's why the Torah says, don't do it. You're not allowed to take neshach because it's like a snake bite. It's basically acting in a treacherous way. You're getting interest insidiously. You're, you're, you're sapping out the lifeblood of another human being, of another Yid, and that's a terrible thing. But you see here how the Torah is the way a nachash operates. This is the M.O. of a nachash. He puts a little snake bite in your toe, in your heel. You hardly feel it. You don't think it's like a big deal. But he starts going deeper and deeper and deeper into our psyche until we think that it's fine and even it's a mitzvah to do the thing. That's the brilliance of the Nachash That's the brilliance of the Sahara, That's what happened with Shechem. And that's what happens with all of us on a daily basis. The Sahara comes. He says a taina to us. It sounds like a good taina. We buy into it. And unless we're really strong, we're going to give in every time. I. but I know halach. I know this is a wrong thing. It doesn't matter. It's not talking to your brain talking to your heart and he's doing it in a, such a sly, brilliant way that you don't even realize that it's going into your heart. And before you know it, you look in the mirror, you say, what am I? How did I do this? Here's a Gemara in Shabbos, Kofheya Mbez, Kach um Naseh Shal This is the Omnis. This is a profession of the Yetzahara. How does the Yetzahara operate? Ma'ma Shalavart. Hayayim Aimerloi I say Kach Today he tells you to do this, a small little thing. Ulamacha Tomorrow he'll tell you to do another thing a little bigger. At the end of the day he'll tell you, be And you're going to do it and you're going to want to do it. A person goes and is How do you take a bentira and all of a sudden, you know, over a bad summer. He turns into a machal Shabbos. It happens. You see it all the time. How does it happen? It happens very, very slowly. It's not easy. It's not like you all of a sudden go from learning to turning on a light on Shabbos. It doesn't happen like that. It happens slowly. You go to a blog. A lot of these blogs, by the way, are the worst. It's better to look at anything else on the internet than those, those, those anti-terror blogs because those, He Rabim Chalolim he pilo. Many guys get completely taken by these blogs. I don't even know what's on it. But they tell me that it's sort of just like they read it, and they just like have all these questions about Amunan, about, about all the ikrei the hadas and they, they just they can't sit by Gerar anymore. That's how dangerous it is. And we've lost, here in the yeshiva, we've lost Rahman Watson, a very good Chabura of guys to the, just to those blogs. How does it happen? Because the blogs they're not like these, it's not doesn't have a big cross on the top of the blog. There's no pastor that's talking. It's a rabbi. It's a rabbi or somebody or, or former rabbi and he knows the shprach and he uses Lashyness and he throws around a lot of maramakaimis and Ramams and Marnabukhims and this and that. And before you know, you don't even know what, what to think anymore. And people are so taken by it. Slowly. You look at it once, mmm look at it, the next day you go back to it, you read it again, all of a sudden like it becomes like very, very interesting, and to the point that suddenly you begin to say, "Taka, I don't know anymore, I don't know anymore what, 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 what Emunah is. This is the brilliance of the Yitzhahara. Period. And it happens to all of us, it. it's not just us. There's a, one of my favorite Mises about Rav Shach. Rav Shach, when he was in his 90s, he came to breakfast, and he says, I'm, it's a big simcha for me today. They said, w- wh- why? So he says, well, today the Eitzahara almost beat me. Was he says, what's pshat? He says, I got to sleep very late last night. I was learning, I had a cheser to do. Got to sleep very late. And I was, then my alarm clock went off in the morning. I was going to get up to go to Yeshiva, the Daven. And the Eitzahara came over to me. Neitzah says, it says, it says you're already a, a bentition. You're already in, in your 90s. Nobody's expecting you to wake up to go to yeshiva. Nobody's expecting you to wake up at all. And, and uh, you know, it's already, you know, no one's going to be disappointed if you don't. You're in your 90s. You were up late at night. You hardly got any sleep. Most people your age need at least 10 hours of sleep at night. You got three hours of sleep. Stay in bed. You'll have, you'll, you'll daven later and, you'll, and you'll, go, you'll get to stay there on time. And he said, Roshatzin, I was listening to the Sahara, and I was saying, you're taker right. And, he, and it was so convincing, the argument, that I wanted to stay in bed. I was not about to stay in bed. And then he says, I remember the Gemara, the Gemara says that, when does the Eitzahara come into your body? When you, are, when you come out of your mother, that's when the Eitzahara is injected into you. As soon as you're born, the second that you're born, the Yitzhahara comes into your system. So Shach said, I looked at the Yitzhahara and I said to him, wait a minute. What's your taina to me? Your taina to me is that I'm an old man and that I shouldn't get up to do my avayga, I'm patr. He says, but you are exactly the same age as I am. We were born at the same moment in time. When I was born, you were born, and look at you—you you got up this morning to do your abayda to get me to stay in bed. It behooves me to do my abayda and get out of bed. And he says, I jumped out of bed and I was able to go to and It's a big simcha for me. The Eitzahar is very smart, and we have to be smarter than the Eitzahar, which is almost impossible. If the Torah says that the Nachash was arum. The Nachash is sneaky and clever you can imagine that the Torah knows a bit or two about what clever means. The Torah is very smart itself. And if the Torah is describing the Nechash as clever, that's quite a formidable enemy to take on. So the question that remains is, okay, we have now understood on the basis of this parish of Dina, of Dina Basyakev how easy it is, even for great people, to be seduced, when the Yitzhara talks to our heart and when the Yitzhara starts to build up a case schmoozing with us, telling us different things that are that are able to play with our minds, to be able to want to do something with a gishmat, how do we stop it? How do we avoid the Yitzhara? We all have the Yitzhara of some form or another. Everybody's Yitzhara is different. What one person's Yitzhara is, the other person does not have Yitzhara for. But... Everybody has their own, their own yitzhar, their own their own thing, or some people have many things. How do you stop it? That's obviously a question that's above my pay grade. Because I'll tell you when that when when I'm able to stop it, we, we could talk about it some more. But for mitzvah as a shmuz, let's say, how does a person how does a person stop it? How does the person you have the Yitzhahara to do a certain thing? How do you not do it? And I think there's two answers to the problem. The first answer is, what do you do if you see a snake? If you can understand that the Yitzhahara is really a snake, let's say you were walking to the dorm, and all of a sudden you see a boa constrictor with its tongue you know, coming out at you. What would you do? Would you start talking to it? Would you start, like, petting it? It's final time, right? We like petting animals at final time, right? So you should, pet, you should pet, a, pet a boa constrictor. I don't think so. What you do when you see a boa constrictor, when you see a scorpion, when you see a snake, a rattlesnake, is you run like you've never ran before. You run. The first thing to do when the Yitzhahara is coming at you and you know that it's a snake is run away. Run away. What did at Sa'diq do? Again, the, the person that could have been Dina. What did At HaTzadik do? He didn't say that Yisif, when he was tempted by Eshaz Paitifar, he started discussing it and having a theological debate with her. He says, Nothing. The Torah says, He ran. He fled. As if he saw a snake. Because that's what she was to him. I don't want to talk to you about it. I can't discuss this right now. i got to run. He left his coat there. That was the worst thing. He left Exhibit A for for the detectives to know what happened. And she could say whatever story she wants. He didn't care. i got to get out of here. i got to get out of here when the Sahara is trying to really put a full core press on you, don't engage him. Don't think about it. Don't consider it. What we have to do is, by Yanas, by Yitzhah you run away from the snake. You run away. There's no Sahara that we're going to be able to really tackle. We're not that good. We're not stronger than all the other G'dayim before us that we're not able to succeed every time. We're not, that, we're not wired that way. We're weak. We're living in times that were really, really weak. The best thing to do is run out, run away. So you're going to say, well, you know, that's not exactly an act of courage. To run, to be a coward, that's, that's not my way. I'm, I'm macho. I, I, don't, I don't run away from a challenge. I like taking up a challenge. So there's a Pele Yayitz we learn after Daviding, we have a nice Chabura of Talmidim that we learned together, an amazing sefer called Pele Yayitz. and this week we learned a topic called Bricha, which means run away. And the Pele Yaitz basically talks about this, how it's important to run away, and he says, don't think that it's not manly to run away from the Yitzhahara, and that to run is like the act of a coward, he said, he brings psukim. He says Va'yivrach Yaakov, Va'yivrach Moshe, Va'yivrach Eliyahu. He marshals all these psukim of the great, like the Mount Rushmore of Kali Israel. Who's better? Who do we have better than Yaakov, Moshe, and Eliyahu and Navi? They were the leaders. They were the, the most, the greatest leaders that we have. And by all of them, the Torah used the lashon Va'yivrach. They ran. That's a profile and courage. Yeah. For a year, there's nothing more strong and courageous than to run from the Yitzhara. Ezel gibar HaKai V'Shesh Yitzray. You want to show true strength? Run away from the Yitzhara. Don't take him on. Don't talk to him. Run like you would from a snake. There's a great vart from Rabbi Cheskel Abramsky, who was a in Eilam. He wrote the Sefer on the Taisefta that we have in Yeshiva, the Divrei Cheskel, and the Chesko, excuse me, and Rabbi Cheskel Abramsky says a great word on Parshas Kisese. We know that there's a parsha there called Eishes fastaya You go to battle, and you see a beautiful woman, and she's taken captive, and you want her. So there's a whole process by which to go through. You have to let her grow her hair and grow her nails, and and, and cry over her parents. And then, after all that, if you still want her, then you can take her. Rashi says, like Dibra, Taira, Ella, K'nega, The Taira is addressing the Sahara. The Taira knows. You're at war, and you have human needs, and you see something, you want it. Okay, we'll let you have it, but you've got to do it under these and these terms. It's sort of, in order to diffuse the Sahara, the this is how we're going to do it. Zaktiv Dr. Ramsky he says two things. He says, first of all, you see, if the Torah is telling you that here you have to give in to your that means that in general, all other cases, you have the ability not to give in to your yetzahara. In wartime, it's a little different because of whatever reason, but in, in a regular day-to-day thing, we have the ability within us to fight the Yitzhahara, to, to overcome our Sahara. That's one thing he says. But another thing he says is that why is this the exception to all of the other Yetzirah? Because every time, every Yetzirah, the Torah gives us a special dispensation. Oh, you have a big Yetzirah to eat a cheeseburger? All right, fine. Uh, you can eat the cheeseburger, but first we want you to put ketchup all over it. And then you got to you know, throw it in the microwave for four minutes. No, one, that's not, that's, we never have that after. All of a sudden, when it comes to this Muhammad, we get, we get a special tour, special dispensation. What's going on? What happened to the Torah? Listen to what Rabbi says. He says. He says, in in general, the, you know how you deal with the Yetzirah? You run away from the Sahara. You run away. That's the only, that's the major way to run to, to deal with the Sahara. So on every day, a cheeseburger, you have a temptation to go into McDonald's, run away from McDonald's. You have a temptation to see a certain movie, run away from the movie. I just saw... There was a... I was reading the biography of of Wigdor Millers, that's how. They just put out a brand new, very thick biography. It's amazing. I I recommend everybody buy it and read it. I borrowed it, actually, so it's not fair to say you should should buy it, but... So it's kedai to have in your home. He used to say, and I don't know if it was Halakha Lamaisa, but back in those days, people today I don't think really have a normal TV set. In those days... TVs in many people's houses were like a piece of furniture. It's like you had your dining room table, you had your your uh, you know your breakfast, and then you had a TV. A TV sometimes like this big wooden box. It was like a hush of a piece of furniture with a TV inside of it. It was like a real thing a TV. It wasn't like today everything's a laptop and skinny and and uh, you know these thin screen things that you mount on the walls. In those days, a TV was really a kishmaka TV. So. Victor Miller was like the first one to fight the battle against TV because it was a very common thing. Everybody had TVs. Everybody had a TV. Not everybody, everybody. But like you know, most people, even from Jews, it was like a part of the American culture back in the 50s, 60s, 70s. You had a TV in your living room and you watched the news together and you, you know, once in a bit, It was much cleaner, the shows, but it was still, it was still something that was obviously not, a, not, not, not so great to have in a Jewish home. And he used to say to people, take your televisions, and look out your apartment window or your whatever, make sure that nobody's walking by, take the television and chuck it down on the street and, and let it smash. He says, or if you, you know, you're a cuss on your furniture, he says, take a hammer, break the TV screen, and put your svarim inside of the TV set. But get rid of it. Do something, do something dramatic to, to run away from it. To run away from it doesn't mean physically running away from from the movie. It means doing something. Shut down your your computer, rip it, rip whatever. Do something something to get away from the Sahara. You can always run away from the Sahara, but there's one time you can't run away. The Shas Milchama, the Torah doesn't allow a person to go awol. You have to fight the fight. If everybody would be running back from battle, we, we wouldn't be too successful in war. That's the one exceptional time that you're not allowed to run away. If you're not allowed to run away, so the Torah has to give us some saw, How to battle the Eitzahar? Oh, what am I supposed to? Do? I can't run away. So what am I, I should Deal with it. Yeah, deal with it like this. It's the one time that you're not allowed to run away. So that's why you have to. We have to give you a special dispensation. But every other time, you have it in your hands to tackle the snachas by running away from it. Run away. If you're, you're in a mood, a certain mood, and you know that you have a type, if you go back to the, your room and you're going to be alone in the room and you're going to do a certain thing, then don't go back to the room. Stay in the base basement the whole night. Or make sure that somebody is, uh, is in the room that night. Or sleep on the couch. Do something. But you can't allow yourself just to be seduced and to do something wrong when you're in the mood. That's what the HR wants. The HR wants you to get in that mood. The HR wants to talk to your heart and wants to bypass our brain. But we have to try as hard as we can, and I know this is an impossible thing. I'm not saying this like, yeah, and I've done it. I know that it's hard. It's impossible. When you get into that mood and you really want to do something, it's there's there's it's the strongest magnetic pole ever. But this is what is the Aetsa that's brought in the Svaramakadeshim how to deal with the Aetzara by Yonas by Yatsafutz. It's very simple, run away. Run away. And then there's another Aitza. If let's say you can't deal with you can't run away, you're not that type, You're not a person that does these dramatic things. You're not going to smash your, your television and put soram in it, and you're not going to throw it out the window, and you're not going to physically run out of your room and you know run into the streets and like start screaming. That's not it's not your type. You're just lying in bed, you have a stickle taiba to do something, or you're going somewhere and you have a taiva to go somewhere and to do something that's wrong. What do you do? I think the Torah says what to do in Parshish Barashas right at the end of the Nachash. HaKadosh Baruchu addresses the Nachash and says, Hu reish, He will crush your head. Man hates you. I'm going to put a hatred for, of man and a fear of, man, of you into man. He hates you. He's going to crush your head to You're going to do your job. You're going to bite his heel, like we said. You're going to put your, your venom into his heel. It's going to spread to the extremities. But don't think that he's going to take it. He's going to crush you. Every opportunity that man gets, he's going to crush you. Now I ask you, how do you crush a snake? How do you deal with it? And I think the Torah is saying that the way he's going to crush you, the way he's going to break you, is similar to the way that you get to him. There's like a heckish in the puzzle between the way he's going to deal with you, the nachash and the way man is going to deal back with the nachash. The nachash deals in a very sly way with us. He says, it's good. He says, you could do it. It's geshmak. The rabbinic Shem probably even wants you to do it. It's a mitzvah to do for you. You need to unwind. You deserve a break. Look at your background. Look at the tzaras that you're going through. It's all a power grab. It's something, lightning is not going to strike you. You'll do tshuva. You're, all these things, these are different things. The Sahara slowly gets you convinced that it's a good thing to do. It's a good idea. The next day you wake up and what did I do? You have such a hangover. How did the Sahara do that to me again? But when you're doing it, you think it's Namish and it's Mitzvah. You think you're doing like an amazing thing. That's the way to deal with the Sahara also. You have to deal with the Sahara. With a certain slyness, with a certain cleverness. If you go to the Eight Sahara and you say, No, I'm not going to do it, he's going to say, You are doing it and you're going to do it right now. The way to deal with the Eight is tell the Eight Sahara, I will do it. I will do it. You're right. I want to do it. But I don't want to do it now. I'm going to do it tomorrow. Push it off. Tomorrow we'll talk about it. Tomorrow night is a better night. Tonight I have, I have finals. I, I, tomorrow night I'm going to do it. Tomorrow morning we'll talk about it. You're about to speak Lashonara. You know, and you really want to and you're convinced it's a good thing. Say, I'll do it, but you know, let me just go get something from the refrigerator. And then I'll speak Lashonara. By the time you come back from the refrigerator, you just like the conversation's moved on and you have no... Push it off! Do what the Sahara does to you. Do it back to him. Don't give in, but don't fight it either. Just say, I'll do it, but not now. I have a riot to this from a Pasugan Rus. The Pasagin Rus says that Bayaz was the God of Adar. We're not talking about little people here. We're talking about Gael Adar. Bayaz was the God of Adar. We know that Rus came in the in the in the in the in the in the uh, in the granary that night. Chazal, Rashi brings let that say that, that Bayez had a big Yitzhahara to, to be together with Rus that night. He wanted to be with her. He didn't want to wait to get married. He had a tayva. And again, Ketim Adrigasai. And what does he say? Look at the lotion that Bayez uses in order to kill that Yitzhahara. He says to Rus, Lini ha Laila, ve ye Let's go to sleep tonight. Tonight we're going to go to sleep. Tomorrow, we'll, give it, we'll get an Eitzah tomorrow about what to do. Tonight, let's, just, let's not do anything else. Let's, let's sit on it for tonight. That's the way the Torah is telling us to deal with the Eitzah. The first way is etzah, always run away. Run away. Don't do it in the first place. Because the Mpalli Muslims say a lot of people think you know, that the Nisayan is b'shas M'Azah. The B'Shash you've lost it already. I'll give you a muscle. This happens to, to all of us, I think. Let's say you're going; you need to you need to shop. We all need to shop. So, the Etzahara tells us that we need we need to we need to try on a suit. We have to go to a certain store. Where is the store? The store is in the mall. Oh, the store is in the mall. So I'll go to the mall. Now, you, you go to the mall, what do you see in the mall? You see, you, you see pictures of Mikhail Kanievsky all, all over the mall? Every single poster in the mall, every single store, has very, very bad pictures all over it. That's, that, those are the pictures. And then there are human beings walking around the mall and working in the mall, and also not exactly the best influence for us. But we have to go shopping in the mall, so what are we going to do? We're going to go to the mall and we're going to really try to like look the other way. Whenever we see someone looking at you've already lost the sign. the nisayan is blown. The Nisayan doesn't start in the mall. This Nisayan starts when you make a decision. Should I go to the mall? That's when the etzara begins. That's when the Nisayan is really there. So you shouldn't go to things. You shouldn't be looking at things. And if you're about to do it, then run away. But if it's not Shayek for whatever reason to run away, and now you're here, this is where we are, and I'm not sure, should I do it? Sit in the Yitzhah, I'll do it! But not now. Give me a little time. And the is going to say, fine, I'll give you a little time. By the time tomorrow rolls around, you're going to give such a suda Haidah because you beat the eight Sahara, then the next night you're not going to even want to consider it. The, the Simcha that you get when you Struggle with the Eitzara and you're able to overcome the Eitzara is amazing. It's the biggest simcha of life. There are Talmidim in the yeshiva. There's one right now in the yeshiva. He's not here right now, um, but um, he he had a hard time waking up for davening. And so what he did was something very smart. He wasn't a and he didn't. He wasn't able to engage in the etzara, with the Eitzara with these with lambdas. So he said he made a chart in his room like a calendar, and every day that he wakes up for davening, he puts a big check on the calendar. And he had forty nine straight days of waking up for davening. And in yeshiva, somebody bought him like a very nice present, like uh, forty nine candies, in order to celebrate that simcha. But that's how you have to do it. Just don't say I'm never going to wake up again for that. Just today, I want to wake up for davening. It's not if you would say you're going to wake up 49 days in a row, he said, no, 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 forget the whole thing, it's not happening. But if a person's able to say, tomorrow I'll sleep late, but today I want to just try to have one day at that evening. Okay, fine, go. And then the next day, and the next day, and all of a sudden you're building up momentum, now I don't want to sleep, you're crazy, I'm going to break a record. You have to be a little bit of a chacham when it comes to the Yitzharu. You can't be a tippish, you can't be a nair, you can't be a fool. You have to be able to be astute and clever and sly like he is. In the same way that he injects venom in you and he's able to have a, he has a game plan with you and he's able to know exactly what he wants to do with you, you have to do that back. You have to also develop a game plan and try to beat him at his own game. If you can't run away from him, at least push him off temporarily. And temporarily is forever. Because even if you are victorious one time, the Chayi says, that is an amazing first step. You have now a foothold to be victorious even more in the future. I want to share with you, and this will end, there's a, uh, a story I saw in, in, in one of the, the from... Magazines. It's a it's a column by a, a certain rabbi, Rabbi Yael Gold, and he brings a a very very beautiful story. I think from a rabbi that I happen to know. His name is Rabbi Chaim Nosin Siegel. He's known as Rabbi Nate Siegel. He's the brother of, of Nachum Siegel, from the radio the radio personality and it's an MC by a lot of the concerts and the, the from concerts. But this Rabbi Nate Siegel, he has a shul in Staten Island. It's called the New Springville Jewish Center, and it's a shul that has you know they're they're a shul that are that's in growth mode. They're trying to grow. They're trying to raise people up. They're trying to make people learn taira. And they have a kilo there, and they have tefillah and all. They have it's, it's they he really he really works very hard on making people there firmer and growth oriented. Every every simchas taira. They don't auction off kibudim like many shuls do in yeshivas. Instead, he chooses. Rabbi Siegel himself chooses who he feels grew the most over the course of the year, and he gives that person entire. So, in 1999, there was a uh, he gave the honor to a certain person. Let's call him Matt Levine. He was he became a regular at the shul. And instead of making a speech, which he normally, Rabbi Siegel normally makes a speech before he gives Chassan Taira, and he here he he decided to tell a story about why this person was chosen, and one one mitzvah that happened that he felt makes him be the worthy honoree of Chassan Taira for 1999. Matt was not religious, but his wife and children were starting to become Shemashabos. And they were Shemer Shabbos, and that was, was not against Yiddishkeit. He wasn't against Munkaid. He just had, and he was happy. He was impressed with his wife and his children. He wasn't anti. He wasn't rabidly like, "What are you doing? This is not what I signed up for." He was okay with it, but he had one problem. He had one Sahara, as it were, and that is that he couldn't keep Shabbos Friday night. Why? Because he was a rabid Knicks fan. He was a rabid basketball fan. And I didn't know this, but apparently a lot of the basketball games are played on Friday nights. And because of that, he didn't want to miss the live game on Friday night. So, so that's what happened. He didn't, he, he could not break that Yitzhara. That was his thing. He didn't want to keep Shabbos, because keeping Shabbos from men, that he would have to give up his beloved Friday night basketball games. So, so that year, the year before 1999 was 1998. Now, if anyone, I don't know if anyone of you were born then, but that was a year that um, that was a year that the basketball players went on strike. I remember it, and and there was uh, so normally they they settle very quickly because they want to get the season. But they, it was intractable. They were not able to come to an agreement, and they were at an impasse. And they were not the 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 work the the players and the owners were not able to cut a deal and it went into the season and it was schlepping out months and months and months so Rabbi Siegel said to Matt he says now that there's nothing on TV on Friday nights now might be a good time to start keeping Shabbos so Matt said Rabbi Siegel said you have nothing to lose keep Shabbos for now keep Shabbos for now that yeah biker, when the when morning comes, then you'll be able to watch again. But right now, keep Shabbos, keep Shabbos, the beginning. You're not missing out. There's no games, Hashem. So Matt said grudgingly, Okay, as long as there are no games, I'll keep it. But when they start again, forget it. Not gonna do it anymore. Once they start, we start. Anyway, it was six months, they still were on strike. And then they finally, in January, reached an agreement. And, the, and that season would be 50 games instead of the normal 82 games. So Matt came to the rabbi and he says, listen, the games are starting again. So the rabbi says, come on, this isn't a normal season. This is an abnormal season. You're going to break Shabbos. Break it on a regular. Wait till next year. It's an abnormal season. What do you, you want, 50 games? It's not a season even. It's not, it doesn't have a chalat fame season. So don't do it. It's not Kedai to break Shabbos for that. He says, and let's get real anyway. You only care about the Knicks. So wait and see if they make the playoffs. And then we'll talk about it some more. They make the playoffs. So that sounded reasonable to Matt. And by then, Shabbos began to grow on him. He started liking it. Eat nicely. Sit with your family. And he got spiritual uplifted through his commitment. So he ate a Shabbat suit on Friday night, and he used to check the scores in the paper the next day. The Knicks barely scraped through the season, and they entered the playoffs in last place. In the first round, they were scheduled to play the Miami Heat, and they were the reigning champions of the Eastern Conference. They didn't stand the chance. So Rabbi Siegel says to... Uh, to, to Matt, he says, what are you going to do? He says, Rabbi, they made the playoffs. That was our deal. If they made the playoffs, I'm in. I'm going to watch. I have to watch. So Rabbi says, come on, Matt. He says, when was the last time, did it ever happen in history that the number eight team would beat the number one team in the playoffs? Not going to happen. He says, it happened once. You're right, Matt said. It happened once. That's it. He says, you're right. They're probably not going to win. He says, "All right, so let's see if they if they win, then we'll talk about it some more. But until they win, it's it's a joke anyway. The Heat versus the Knicks is not happening. So just like don't keep Shabbos again." So he says, "Fine." He says, "I'll I'll keep Shabbos." Matt kept Shabbos, and the Knicks beat the Heat. So by now, Matt had kept Shabbos for ten months almost an entire year without his beloved Friday night basketball games. So when the second round of playoffs rolled around, Rabbi Siegel didn't say a word. He had pushed Matt this far, and it was time for him to confront his Sahara and make his own choice. So the rabbi spent Friday night hopeful and davening that Matt should make the right choice. He didn't want to talk about it anymore. He's like, I'll wait to see what happens tomorrow in show. And he had barely entered the shul's threshold in the morning, the rabbi. And Matt comes over and confronts him. He says, Rabbi, Rabbi, who won? Rabbi Siegel asked with a certain sense of resignation. Who won? Shabbos on?" Matt explained that that Friday night, He was going to his TV and he was sitting on his Lazy Boy and he had the remote control in his hand and he was staring at that black screen about to turn it on and he looked at his family sitting at the Shabbos table, dressed in their Shabbos finery, eating and drinking and schmoozing and he looks back at his remote and at the black screen and he looks back at his family and he puts down the remote, and he joins his family for the Shabbos. And Rabbi Siegel concluded his speech, and he says that this is our chasantaira. Matt is the real winner here. He's a true chasantaira, faithful to Shabbos and the mitzvahs, even when they demanded a great sacrifice from him. And when Rabbi Segal told this story to an Adam Gadol, Adam Gadol said about this story, Yesh Kaina Achas. There are certain people that are able to acquire Nitzrias, eternity, Eilam in one moment. This is how you deal with the Eight Sahara. If we stand a fighting chance of dealing with the Eid Sahara, it has to be, leaning Halayla. Push it off. I can't say, you. if he would have said, if the rabbi would have said, to Matt at the beginning of the season, Shabbos, and learning Mishneh with him, and tell him it's awesome What you're doing is a terrible cholishim shemayim, and your and you're a bum, and you're a, you're a, you're an ice bar. So Matt would say, you know what? This whole religion is not for me. It's ridiculous. I love the Knicks. You're stopping me from washing. I forget it. The rabbi was smarter than that. The rabbi understood human nature. The Rabbah understood the way the Nachash is able to enter into our bloodstream and think that make us believe that we have to do it. We must do it. We need to do it. The only Yitzhah is, let's push it off. Let's push it off tonight. Tomorrow morning, we'll talk about it again. Tomorrow morning, we'll think about it. I don't want to speak Lashon Hara now. I'll do it in 10 minutes from now. I don't want to look at that at that magazine right now. I'll look at it tomorrow. Let's put it away. Tomorrow I'll look at it. By tomorrow you'll feel such a sense of accomplishment that you're able to be menatzeach, the Yetzirah, that hopefully you'll throw that throw the magazine in the garbage. V'chule, v'chule, v'chule. With all the Yetzirahs, with all the taivahs, whatever the taivah that a person has, it's impossible for us to describe Yetzirahs because there are so many of them and they take so many disguises for some people, Yetzirah, Shemir, seinayim That's their Yetzirah. For some, it's missing davening. For some, it's speaking lashnara. For some, it's Machal For some, it's being able to, uh, I don't know, to be, to smoke on Shabbos. Everybody's, everybody's Nisayin is different. To text on Shabbos is a tremendous Nisayin for many, many, many people. Today, people are so addicted to their phones, to their WhatsApp, to their texting, that they keep what's called a half Shabbos. They made up a new term. I'm keeping. I keep. I, I eat Friday night and Shabbos morning. I have my cholent and I have my schnapps. But I text. Keep keep it half Shabbos, and we rationalize it and we justify it and we can't. And it's taka a very strong yichur. No, you can't. You can't. We can laugh at it all we want, but it's it's strong. For certain people, it's an impossible yichur. I told you I once had a friend and he was telling me what his biggest Yet Sahara was. Everybody was talking about their Yet in a you know, I guess in a veiled way. And he says, My Yet you wanna know my Yatsar? Yeah? He says, I wanna I wanna take a shave in a barbershop shop with a razor. I wanna get like a clean a nice clean cut. I never have like with a shaver it's always like so stubbly. I want to have my kmamish a smooth cut like that on the, on the Gillette commercials, you know, like that. Those athletes that are doing that with the razor, with a cream, with a whipped cream, you know, whatever they're doing there. That's what, that, that's what, that's what I want. I said, that's your Yitzhara? He says, yeah, that's my biggest Yitzhara. I said, are you crazy? Are you ahead of your mind? That's your Sahara? But that was his Yitzhara. Everybody has their own vices and their own HRs, their own addictions, their own predilections. Everybody's got their own thing. Everybody's different. What One person has, another person doesn't. And can't fathom that that's even a taiva. For whatever Yitzhara is, there's always the ability to run away. That's the first thing. That's the first plan. Run away from the snake. Barring that, if you're not the type that could run away, you're not that strong, and you, you're more apt to cave, cave for cave tomorrow. If you're able to push it off till tomorrow, and then till the next day and the next day, you're giving the Yetzirah a little bit of, of ammunition. You're giving him a little bit of what he wants. You didn't give him the actual victory yet, but you prom- he, he's promised a victory. That's the best way, the second best way, to deal with the Yetzirah. With wisdom, with cleverness, to be a little bit of a, of a chacham, to have a little bit of pichas, of, of insight into how the Yetzirah works, and you beat him at his own game. And when you do win... Make a Kiddush. Be There's a Chavis Havavis that says that there was a... I love this Chavis Havavis. It's Meshach Yichad I think perek hey, And he says that once upon a time there was a chasid. He brings a lot of these stories about this chasid. This and there was a... It was, it, this is obviously, uh, you know, it's just a mushal, but there was a a band of soldiers that had come back from war victorious. And they had the spoils of war in their hand. They had all the booty, and they had necklaces and jewelry and cars and prizes and whatever. They were carrying it back to their city and there was going to be a big ticker tape parade for them because they were coming and they vanquished the terrible enemy. And these guys looked like Rambo, they were all like muscular and whatever. And then there was like this little chass, this little yidl, and he, he taps him down on the shoulder, he couldn't reach his shoulders. So he taps him on his bicep, on one, you know, on, and he says, oh, excuse me, sir, he says, what do you want, Jew? He says, I just want to tell you something. You have just won a small enemy, and you've taken his booty. Be prepared now for the big enemy. Prepare yourself to fight now a battle against the big enemy. And the Chavis Lele says, what I mean to say is, to fight against the Yitzhar. The HR is the biggest enemy you'll ever have. You have all the spoils of war, you're going to go and have big Gaiva that you won? That's when the HR is really going to get you. And that's a much bigger enemy to fight than a mortal enemy. What I just wanted to take from, the, from this Chavis Salavos is that I think what he's saying is that how do you fight the big enemy the same way you fight the small enemy? The way that you are motivated to beat the small enemy... When you go to war, what's what's enticing you to win? I'm gonna get a lot of booty out of this war. I'm gonna become a millionaire. I'm gonna go and cop, I'm gonna go into every house of the enemy, I'm gonna take everything from them, I'm gonna take their gold and their silver and their paintings and their jewelry. I'm gonna be so wealthy from if I can only beat this enemy. That's how you have to look at the eight Sahara at the bigger enemy. When I fight the enemy, when I beat the enemy, when I crush the enemy's head, I'm going to get so much shallow out of it that it's not even going to compare with what the Yitzhakara is promising me, this short, immediate gratification that I'm going to get if I watch that movie, if I speak the Lashonara, if I go to that place, if I do that. Yeah, I might have a clean shave for a few days, but that doesn't compare to the Hana that I'm going to get if I'm able to push him off. The shallow has to lure us. Just like that person that made all those checks in the calendar and after 49 days, he gets a big schar in this world. He makes a big party, tells all his friends about what he was able to do. That has to be us. If we're able to beat the Sahara, it's going to be because we have a promise of pleasure that's going to be far tran- tran- transcendent over the pleasures of, of the Sahara's pleasures. Whatever the pleasure that he's giving us, we have to counteract That pleasure with a more real pleasure. Chas Taira, making a kiddush, get some rice cookies and and getting some of your friends in a room and telling them what you did. It's huge to be able to, if one time you're walking in the street and you see somebody coming towards you and you look away, for that moment in time that you were able to vanquish your Yetzirah, the schar that you get for that in this world, forget about the next world, is, is not fathomable. You feel so good about yourself that you're able to do it and you deserve a kiddush. You deserve, go buy yourself a, you know, a nice meal in a restaurant. Do something nice for yourself. You deserve it. Give yourself shalom. Understand that if you're able to vanquish the big eight star, then the shalom is real. The shalom is much more pleasurable then the immediate shawl that the Eitzahara promises you right now, Mirzah Hashem, we should all take these words to heart. We should tackle work on this. This is a, it's it's a it's our lifetime's mission. It's not going to happen in one day, but these I believe are battle plans that will enable us to be armed to somewhat give the Eitzahara a run for his money. Have a good chance.